Bale, welcome back for another episode. Hello, James. How are you? Good, mate. Well, for our New South Wales listeners, it's week one of school holidays and we've just had Easter, so feeling nice, um, rested and recharged, Bale. How about yourself, mate? Well, I don't think in terms of uh, weeks anymore and terms and uh, and holidays and so forth, but I certainly celebrated the um, the Easter break with my family and I've um, certainly enjoyed that time being with, uh, with those people. So mm-hmm. probably not as appreciative as you, and I'm sure I'm not as tired as you've been uh, for an end-of-term break. But I do remember that feeling, Jim. How, how do you go talking to a point that you raised, Bill, talking about you know, thinking about where we're up to in two weeks and terms, how does time look like for you now when you think of it? Is it actually like the month and the dates and things around that? Well, I I must admit I've struggled a few times uh, with days of the week and, uh, you know, certainly didn't hit me that we're at at the end of term one um, as it would have just 12 months ago. Um, And I've started keeping um, an electronic calendar, James, just to keep track of what's <laughs> happening and where we're up to. So um, I don't know if it's just my experience, but I've, I've certainly lost track a little bit of time for sure. Oh, it's very interesting, mate. Anything exciting planned coming up over the next couple of weeks? Um, well, James, I've, um, I've got a significant birthday coming up. Oh, the big, the big 4-0, mate. I wish, Jim. I wish. Do you know, James, I was thinking about this. Tell me your thoughts on this. Yeah. Why is it that the older we get, the more coy we become about disclosing our age? We talk in euphemisms. We go, you know, we've got a significant birthday coming up. We've got a big birthday coming up. But we don't actually say what it is. Why Why do we worry about that, James? Um, it's a good question, Bill. Hmm. Only just having my 30th. Um... Oh, come on, James. Stop but it. it's a good question. Like, I'm seriously just thinking and reflecting. Is it, I don't know, what, what's your thoughts around it? I know I'm not answering and I'm posing it back to you, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, you're throwing it straight back to me, Jim. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the answer. I mean, I turned 60, so yeah. what? But we we go, you know, oh, <laughs> don't mention the big six zero. 0 But, yes, I am turning 60 and um, I started thinking, well, so what? Who cares? Yeah. It's, it's a number. Um, but it's certainly a significant, it's a milestone. There's no th- doubt about that. I think too, Bill, on that point, just reflecting while you were speaking, I mm. think it's because of society and the norms that have have been embedded within our society over years of what certain ages mean. And I think mm. that sometimes there's a stigma, you know, when we think of 60, you know, like mm. well, not just 60, 70, 50, whatever it is, that mm. it limits you to a certain criteria um, in, in certain ways where, I, like you said, it, and I know that it's, you know, uh, stereotypically said as well in a saying mm. that age is just a number, but I truly believe it. If you mm. think that you hit this age and you need to act a certain way or it limits what you can do, I think that's the wrong way of thinking, even though that that's what society constructs you to think. That's my thoughts. Well, uh, that's that's wise of you, James. You've, I've always said you've got a wise head on young shoulders. And I think you're right. I think if you let the number limit you, then it will. Yeah. Um, 
as simple as that but yeah so i've got a big birthday coming up he says big birthday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm looking forward to celebrating that and where we're uh, heading away as a family to uh western new south wales for a few days so that'll be lovely looking forward to it Mate, been I on think... the scooter james i've been on the vespa taking that out for a ride oh, it was we'll... fantastic and we're talking about the change in weather as well at the moment mm. just the the difference you know yeah beautiful with the sun out but that little bit of a cold kick in the air lovely you, time of year do you think bill like and again it, do does weather affect your mood oh you, absolutely yeah yeah mm. I'm i can remember last was it last year james that we had week after week of rainy weather yeah and look i i was very aware that um how i present at work impacted yeah. on the staff yeah but I struggle to to find any sort of excuse the the um, the description here any ray of sunshine in my head practice because I was that that constant rain was just dragging me down and I yeah. know it was dragging the teachers down and it was impacting on the kids. But yeah, no, yeah. I absolutely agree. It'd be interesting, um, you know, looking into research of saying those countries where it's you know often has a, mm. a larger rainfall and you know more more whether we associate with, you know, sad and emotions, is there an impact on, you know, or is it mm, that's all they mm. know? Like, I don't know, Bill. No, I, I think I think there is uh, research out there that supports what you're saying. But enough of our uh, reflections on the mm. the different ponders of life, mate. What, what's, what's hot and what's grabbed your eye? Well, it's interesting, Jim, isn't it? Because we had a little talk prior to starting the recording of tonight's uh, podcast. And we've both come up with the saying, what's hot? I know, we're both, mate. Uh, we're both attracted to the OECD, the latest uh, document from them on education policy perspectives and looking at the context in Australia. Yeah. Uh, so we've both had a look at that. Um, but you know what, Jim, I'm going to let you go first for a change because I know that you uh, highlighted a few takeaways that you wanted to share. Yeah, well... It's it's interesting, right? Because you know, before I share my takeaways of what what I took from you know the paper, is when I was you know just starting off coming out of university, um, I heard um, the acronym OECD, and I had no mm. idea what it even meant, mm. what it was, what it looked for. But you know, you'd hear it on the news or social media, the OECD have reported mm. and all that. And it wasn't until a couple of years ago where I was like, oh. I need to um, test my curia and just, you know, search what even OECD was and what they did. And that was a whole learning experience for myself. And ever since then, I've really found it interesting, not just the work within education that the OECD do, but other papers from an economical perspective as well. Um, It's really helped deepen my understanding in those areas as well. But like you called out, the paper they released um, on April 10th on Monday um, was talking about Australia and their educational policies um, and how they differ to the other countries within OECD. And one of the key things that stood out for me, and again, the the document is 58 pages, so I, I am yet to read it, everything of it. But one of the things that stood out to me, it was saying, um, uh, quote, Teaching conditions in Australian schools include higher than average net teaching hours and slightly less competitive salaries compared to other similarly educated professions. 
And the point that it also went in to say was, um, so this is in Australia, in 2021, teachers taught for 860 hours at a primary level. Um, then it talks about uh, high school, et cetera, within that. But then it goes on to say how many more hours it is compared um, to the other countries on average within the OECD. And it was such a larger amount that we're teaching from a face-to-face um, perspective. And which was also interesting as part of that is the point that it called out about um, including higher than average net teaching hours and slightly less competitive salaries because that's kind of the stuff that we're talking about within New South Wales at the moment for the last several years is about the amount of face-to-face teaching. You've shared your opinion on that part though, but the big thing that we both agreed on was about the, you know, the salary within that area. So really interesting within that area, but what stood out to you, mate? Well, it's it's um, it's interesting that you mentioned that, and um, some of the um, the commentary that I've been following. It's interesting we we grab the what I call the negatives inverted commas of these reports, and there was the there was a lot of discussion about the uh, paragraph around the intimidation and bullying, the student student truancy, um, etc. But there were a lot of positives in the report, and I might add it's an update on the, the first um, profile of Australian education. <clears throat> so it, it does compare um, some of the progress across the system. Um, a couple of takeaways, Jim. What I, what I really liked, and I think some schools could take this away, is how they've structured the report. So they've looked at students as a heading. They've looked at the institution as a heading. And they've looked at the system as a heading. So they've gone from a real focus to what's important right back out, the focus back out to the the broader system. And I like that. I like how they've structured that report looking, um, you know, the nitty-gritty about what's happening with kids um, right through to how um, what we're doing at a system level is impacting on kids. And I tell you what, if I was still in the job... I would um, play with that that structure um, whenever I was probably looking closely uh, at my um, my school and what's happening there. I think that was really good. I mean, I'm talking about the positives here, Jim. You know, Australia continues to perform at or above OECD averages uh, in, in relation to um, uh, PISA. Um, so that's good. Um, students in Australia view their teachers positively and teachers themselves have comparatively high levels of job satisfaction. Interesting point. Um, Nevertheless, they do talk about the learning environments and that's where the the ideas um, and the concerns around the disciplinary climate, the intimidation or bullying and the student truancy comes out. Talks about the robust evaluation culture we have across at all levels, and I agree, I think we do, um, that we dedicate a large share of national wealth to education and we do make a considerable effort, and particularly in school fundings. Yes, Jim? I was going to say on that point, I didn't read um, in depth, but I saw the chart of how it was showing from a, a government perspective of how much we allocate from 
pre-primary, primary, secondary, then into mm-hmm. tertiary education. And I think it, remembering looking at the graph. You I will see where the gaps are. Yeah, or, or basically all our government ties a lot to funding in comparison to the OECD. Mm-hmm. It was either equal or more. But, to... but early childhood and adult learning is where the gaps are. Yeah. That's where the money's not going. And, and interestingly, that's where it's showing a deficit that, that particularly um, young adults are disengaging and um, <clears throat> that's, that's where the, the performance is stagnating in that upper end, in yep. that TAFE area, that, that further education, um, and not as much money being spend, spent on early childhood education, which as you and I both know as, as primary school educators, we know how critical that, that early intervention yeah. is. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see, I know this is a side point, I forget the amount of billions that the New South Wales government has um, tied to that pre-primary um, within that year before kindergarten and the, the funding they're doing in, in that model of that will look, how that will make changes or yeah, have well, impact. It's interesting, Jim. We've got two, um, I mean, we've got a new state government um, who have been um, given a mandate really to, to bring on some change. It's, and you've you've got a a, a, um, a Labor Party in in the national yeah. forum, <clears throat> so you would think, and, and from every state, bar Tasmania, um, is under a Labor government. Yeah. So you would hope that there's there would be some sort of um, uh, consistent approach across the states. Yeah. Um, and a commitment to what has been identified. And again, we've all heard just recently. The situation in New South Wales in particular is um, apparently worse than the uh, new government was led to believe. I'm not sure how they didn't know. I mean, we all knew <clears throat> in the trenches how bad things are, yeah. particularly around shortages, uh, staffing shortages. So um, let's see where this might take us. But the report's a good one, isn't it, Jim? Yeah. Oh, mate, like I said, I've only been um out for one night before we were mm. recording this so i haven't been able to like i said read in depth but like you said there's a lot of takeaways but again you'll hear it in the media depending upon the narrative they want to create right yes. so what is it that they're trying to achieve is what will be promoted and pushed because everyone well, has their and, own agenda. and i think that's my takeaway too mate is if you're interested in it read the report don't read the takeaways from um the um you know the amateur commentary commentators because they'll, they'll pick up on the negatives and the the um the headlines yep the clickbait a lot of other good stuff yeah a lot of good stuff in there and i like the point that you're talking about um bail there something that i believe has been missing is the, the unity from all states from an educational perspective you know it it really is so interesting and I know within New South Wales, um, I, and, well, not just New South Wales, in Australia, we have an Australian curriculum, but then New South Wales chooses to make their own syllabuses based upon the Australian curriculum. But how schools can differ so much state to state when we're all achieving and working on the same thing. Yes, we work in different communities, but ultimately we are all doing the same job, but how different it can look. And I think it's awesome in one way that we can have that difference and, you know, mm-hmm. um, that that rain to um, contextualise it for our community. I definitely understand that. Communities are so different and things need to be different. 
but to a huger scale from a policy perspective, you know, the, I think there's Well, the report for... refers to exactly what you're talking about, Jim. And I'll quote, in Australia, education governance is a complex and varies by sector and level. States and territories have predominant responsibility for managing preschool, schooling and vocational education, whilst the Commonwealth government takes a more leading role in childcare and higher education governance. So it's all over the place. Yeah. And it is complex. Um, so, yeah, you're spot on. And that's been recognised in um, the latest report. So, Bill, on that point, we're, we're talking within the OECD, some of the politics was coming back up again. But from our last chat, um, we are talking about there was a change of government and what that was, what that looked like, and uh, a topic and a theme kind of came up of how we are talking about resilient leadership. And we mm. wanted to transition that um, into this week's discussion around resilient leadership. And, you know, what... Over your 38 years experience um, within education, and sometimes it's not just about your experience in education, life experience as well, but when I say resilient leadership, what does that mean? What does that look like? And have you got any stories in that area? Well, it's um, it's certainly something that's important. And we, we talked in our last podcast about we're in this um, sea of change. And um, <clears throat> sometimes to get through change you need to be resilient so i thought i might start with what my thinking is around just being resilient forget about resilient yeah. leadership because that's that's a little bit different again but just being resilient as a person yeah. <clears throat> so you're talking about um six c's so you're talking about competence you're talking about confidence connections character coping and control. So I think that the first two are really important, competence and confidence, particularly as a leader. You've got to have a level of confidence in yourself as a leader to, to um, model, demonstrate, and to instill resilience in the people you're working with. Does that make sense? Like, Yeah. There's no point in being... Um, you know, someone who's doubting everything when you're trying to bring confidence in other people. You've got to be confident yourself. And I think, I think to be uh, confident, you've got to have a level of competence. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to know what you're doing. 100%. You've got to have some sort of sense of what's your role. And this, I'm just, this is, goes beyond education. It doesn't matter what sort of yeah. um, area you're working in or leading. You, there's got to be a level of competence there. So I think they're... They're critical. Connections. Now, now we saw, and I, in particular, when I was leading our school through the COVID years, um, I realised that, yes, I needed to be confident. I, I needed a level of competence, but I needed to connect with my people. And when I'm talking about my people, I needed to connect with my kids, my staff and my community. I had to... I had to prioritise what was really important and I felt at that time one of the really important things was to connect with those people on an emotional level, those different groups. So you've got to find whatever it is um, that will convey that connection with those groups. Now, I don't know if you remember, Jim, but I quoted a song and I put it on Central and I, yeah. I it was... Um, Oh, gosh, it's gone from me now because I just thought it was... <laughs> But it was talking about just breathe. The, yep. the, the chorus was talking about 
just breathe. And I wanted people just to take a moment to just stop and breathe, focus on what's, in, what's important here, which was just breathing. And I think that gave a level of, um, uh, you know, people were a little more relaxed when I said, that's what we're focusing on, just breathing. Sounds silly now, but it was important back then. You know, this, this, you've got to have a sense of character. There's got to be a bit of character about your person to get away with this. And then coping and control, I think they're pretty self-explanatory. So you've got to be a resilient person to then have resilient leadership. That's that's my first point. Um, I don't know if you want to jump in there, James, before I oh. head into my thinking around leadership. Do you, my question, I'm, I'm going to, I like how you framed resilience and, and broke it up um, into the analogy of the, the six C's. I, I think that would have helped a lot of people. That's, that's maybe, not mine too. Yeah, yeah no, no, but that's not, that's not, I, don't know, uh, I think it would have helped um, people to reflect maybe within those areas of things that they, they do well within those um, six C's and areas for development. But yeah. do you think, and, and I know, it might be hard to answer this, but have as a society, you know, go back 20 years or a certain time period to now, do you think as a society we are more resilient or less resilient in comparison to 10 years ago? Oh, Jim, that's a big question. So I um, think, mm -hmm. oh, sorry, I, I asked the question and I was giving my own opinion. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure I have an answer, Jim. I, I know I wouldn't be confident to make that call without referring on some sort of data, and yeah. I don't have that. No, you, you've got your uh, qualitative there, mate. You've got your stories, your feelings, your observations. Yeah, I, I think that's still hard because I think, you you know, it's hard to compare um, a cohort of people at a certain time yeah. to another cohort of people in another time yeah. period who are going through completely different things. Yeah. There's so many variables around that. I, it I'd, is. Be, I'd be very hesitant to judge a generation against another generation yeah. in terms of their resilience. Yeah, it, it's complex. You know, I should be I, a politician, James. Yeah, well, you'd, you'd need to take a stance at the end of the day and create a policy for it. <laughs> but but I was more as what I was thinking about is resilience because I know you and I have had a conversation sometimes when we talk about resilience and you framed mm. it to a lot of sometimes things are just tough. They're hard. Mm. That's life. You know, well, can, can, can I go on to that? Because my my seven dot points for resilient leadership touches on that. Yeah. Um, all right. I'll, I'll stop on that. And point. you know the story I'm going to share about that. Yeah. So, so first of all is being optimistic. You know, there's no point being as well as me if you're trying to build resilience, yeah. you, you've got to be, as a leader, you've got to demonstrate a level of optimism. Yep. Um, that's a given. Number two is acceptance. And I'll come back to that because that's the story you're referring to. Three is you've got to have a, um, you've got to be solution orientated. You can't be problem focused. It's got to be, what are the solutions? The culture is around how do we solve this? And, you can only be solution-focused if you have acceptance. If that makes sense? Yeah. I'll come back to that too. Um, you've got to break out of that victim mentality. That'll get you nowhere. 
Yeah, that, that won't bring any strength to the situation. Um, surround yourself by success pe successful people or people who think the same way. Yeah. So a network of success. Um, plan for a positive future. You've got to have a plan. You've got to give the people something to look forward to. This is how we're going to get out of this hole. I've, I've actually got a plan and, and you've got to sell that. Uh, and the last thing is a bit of self-reflection. You've got to you've got to be reflective on um, on what you're doing. But let's go back to acceptance. Um, and you might remember, Jim, I had a big uh, a big conversation with the staff, perhaps towards the end of the COVID period. And I said to them, um, sometimes you've just got to accept that this is your reality. And that that might sound a little bit glib. But it's true. Like if you think think it through, and if you think of that that point in time, you just have to accept that it is what it was. And you could not move forward, and we could not move forward as a staff in particular until we accepted that this was our reality. And I've argued this for um, for a little while now, <clears throat> particularly in relation to the <clears throat> the um, the state of play in education in New South Wales and Australia. And I don't mean that to be like giving up and waving the white flag and just accepting um, that this is horrible, but you've got there's got to be a level of acceptance that this is the situation we're working in. Let's come up with some solutions. Let's plan for a positive future. Let's surround ourselves with um, networks of people who are like-minded and let's move forward. Because the alternative is embedding yourself in in this um sea of um, victim mentality and just floundering around in this stormy water going this is horrible i'm drowning this is horrible i can't do anything about it and then it becomes a, a given you you won't do anything about it <clears throat> so it might all sound a little bit um um you know oh that's easy to say brad but it, it's it's i stand by it and, and I think, James, you might be able to talk to um, the fact that what I'm talking about here right now is what I did and how that impacted on our community in a no, positive def way. Definitely. Um, I think, too, the, the one of going back to when you were talking about just resilience within itself, you know, the six C's again, mm -hmm. um, on that, the point and the points that you referenced within there, uh, I think a lot of that is to do with your dispositions and, you know, ex different experiences that, that determine and shape you within that area. Um, <clears throat> and I think then leading into um, when you were talking more so about resilient uh, leadership with the, the seven things that you quoted within that, during your time um, as principal during the, the COVID time, often that was a time of unknown for, for everyone. No, mm. no one has ever gone through this within, mm. within the world. Um, but the, the way that you were able to have a plan, um, the way that you were able to create a calmness through your communication, um, and that was through um, from a staffing to, to a students um, and to the community, um, mm. through the different medians, but you were able to create that sense of calmness, the vision, the plan of what we were working towards, 
um, again, you had that competence and you had that confidence for people to believe and not to take in. Um, and, you know, for, for a lot of different school communities and different times, I'm sure COVID, and again, I'm not saying that it wasn't a tough time for us. It was a tough time, but through your leadership and resilient leadership through those different things that I mentioned, you will look back as, yes, it was still a tough, difficult time, mm-hmm. but I'm sure mm-hmm. through our school community's perspective, it was as seamless as it could possibly be based upon, you know, inverted commas, resilient leadership on your behalf. Well, <clears throat> yes, and, and thank you um, for acknowledging, acknowledging that. But let's let's forget about COVID. Let's move on now because last week we talked about this change period that we're in and how sometimes change brings on a level of anxiety in people so we've got it you know a a new new curriculums being implemented we've got a new state government which brings a level of uncertainty so again there's there's probably not the level of um fear and, and anxiety that we had through COVID that was unheard of but we are certainly entering a period of time now where there is, um, there's going to be a level of anxiety within our communities, and and these these uh, strategies, these um, you know ideas of resilient leadership, um, are still relevant in this in this hundred oh, percent more than ever um, because so, so again, and I, and I know last year I was talking to teachers and staff about the uh, the new curriculum rollout, and I had to be optimistic and I had to believe it. And I talked about you guys. Are, you guys can do this. You've done this before. We've been through this before. This is your this is your core business. This is what you're good at. You guys understand teaching. You understand curriculum. Yes, it's going to be hard, and that's one thing I think you've always got to acknowledge. Don't ever downplay that it won't be hard. But that comes back to this, the next step, acceptance. Accept that it's going to be tough. Accept that it's going to be of some extra work. But be optimistic about it because you guys are good at this and you'll get there because you've done it before. Um, and then the solutions come in. So what are we going to do as a leadership team that is solution-focused? What are, we, what, what are we going to spend our time in senior leadership groups and our executive teams talking about? We could easily talk about how we're victims. We could easily talk about the negatives and how there's this problem and this problem. It's easier. But what's what's going to make a difference is if if we flip our thinking and we make sure that our narrative is around solutions, our narrative is not talking about how we're, how hard it is for us and woe is us, um, surrounding ourselves with people who are doing it well let's let's identify the people who've worked this out yeah and let's align ourselves to their practice let's plan but let's put something down in writing and you know i was a lover of backward mapping jim you, you were indeed brad i love my backward maps let's talk about what we want to be in i don't know 2025 and let's backward map from that there's our plan for success there's our optimistic approach to this. There's um, our solutions. And then along the way, we can check back in and we can reflect. Are we still on track? Have we reached our milestones? 
Oh, uh, is the culture still positive and optimistic? Has there been a breakout of negativity that we need to we need to send our troops in to, to address? There's your plan, mate. No, resilient leadership. It, and you know, a lot of the things that I'm hearing when when you're speaking, Brad, um, about resilient leadership, it it obviously it like I know it's easier said than done, but a lot of is your DNA, like not, I don't mean DNA, but your makeup of coming back character. to your your character, yeah, character. and you're yeah. leading by example the whole mm. time. It's yep. not it's not toxic positivity in the sense of just going. It's going to be all okay, Ray or Sun. Well, we That's know right. this is the situation. What yep. are we going to do about it? If yep. we can create a culture where we're continually working together. And mm-hmm. that, you, you know, some of the things you were saying was a matter of keeping your finger on the pulse and resetting, readjusting mm-hmm. as, as needed, mm-hmm. like any good plan does. Mm-hmm. But you were modeling the expectations and leading by example. Well, how mm-hmm. would you say of, you know, I guess you as a principal, and I, I know that, you know, we debriefed as a senior leadership team, but if someone's, you know, working in a, a, a smaller school or, you know, even yourself as a teacher, and mm. you mightn't have had colleagues there that you didn't want to unwind with. Was there any strategies you did on a personal note to to help you stay um, resilient, even at times when you struggled? Um, <clears throat> well, I think it comes down to um, that self-reflection and, and I'll come back to the coping. I think um, that was number five in the Cs. I don't know. You've got to find out whatever works for you to help you cope. But I, but I keep coming back to for you to have the leadership that's resilient, you've got to be a resilient person. So you've got to, you've got to sort of work it out yourself <clears throat> first. You've got to get your own um, shop in order before you can get out there and leave. And uh, I think you've got to um, be honest with yourself. Um, you know, like not all of us are up for it. Uh, I mean, we're, we're raising a really big topic here, Jim, but... <clears throat> Not all of us are leaders, and that's okay. Not all of us are meant to lead, right. and that's painful, particularly if you've got to a leadership position, um, and at some point in that little, um, those little quiet moments, you might realise you're not meant to lead. Yeah, and um, I think, sorry, be able to run on that part because I'm only connecting because it's my experience is with an mm. education. Uh, and you'd know a lot more than me in this area, Bill, but I think, you know, over education in the years, so many people have gotten into leadership positions who shouldn't be in leadership positions, which has impacted negatively so much. But I think that's only credit to because what's offered for them to see as a progression, often as a progression, the only thing to get into is a leadership role. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, yes. Yeah. I know uh-huh. that's get, getting in into a different area, but I think mm. the system that would work in, and I know that there's some work of, you know, identifying, doing some things, and, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with not being a leader, just being happy Absolutely and doing not. your job. Yeah. You know what I mean of what, what yeah. you're employed to do, but I think, yeah, sometimes, yeah. Um, sorry, that was just a thought, Bill. No, no, it's, it's another big topic, James, and um, maybe one, I mean, I've got, um, you know, I've got some ideas around um, uh, how we move people into leadership. Yeah. 
um, personal ideas, um, but ones which our listeners might might appreciate or enjoy hearing my ramblings around around that one day. Yeah, um, definitely. But it, it is another whole big, broad topic for sure. Because I think it's, what I'm trying to get to, it's you, you need to be honest with yourself as a leader, not just in education, but just leading. You've got to be honest with yourself. And at some point you might have to recognise this is not me. I yeah. can't do this. Or I've, I've identified some gaps and I can make some some changes and I can grow as a leader. But you've got to be honest with yourself as a leader um, because it's tough leading. It um, is. And, I, and I've just explained, Go I've tried to, to break it break it down, um, you know, what, what that resilient leadership is about. But I came back to, if you notice right at the start, you had to understand yourself as a resilient person before you could lead. I agree. And that, that's why it's so complex and hard and subtle and layered. And it's um, that's why I, what, why I always found it so fascinating, um, the art of leadership. Absolutely fascinating. 100%. And, you know, we could go on and on within this Mm. area and maybe it's a a continued conversation for another time because, you know, resilience is one of the key things of what you've highlighted today, a Mm. skill that is going to make you an effective leader um, and and an important... And um, person. and, And person, because if, if you're not having the resilience and you're within that leadership role, um, again, I don't have the quantitative data to suggest what um, a non-resilient leader versus a resilient leader and the impact that they have within their organisation, but I could make some assumptions of what might be the difference. But I've, I've enjoyed your insights and the different two different analogies you, you shared with the, the six Cs and then the seven over sites that you shared with us tonight, Bill. Pleasure, Jim. Always good fun talking to you. Thank you again to our listeners who are, um, the numbers are growing and um, people are connecting with us in different ways again. Definitely. And again, if you have any feedback on anything that you'd like uh, Bill and I to discuss, suggest, reach out on Facebook and, and Twitter. We always appreciate the feedback and topic suggestions. Are you going to wish me a happy birthday, James? And, Bill, happy 60th birthday, mate. Let's put it out there, Jim. Let's not hide it. That's right. Embrace it. Embrace the big uh, zero. Next time we chat, you'll be uh, 60, mate, and I look forward to hearing about your your adventures of, of what the, the big party looked like. We might have to record a bit earlier, James. I'll be a bit earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be tired. All righty, mate. Bye, hey, mate. Bye.